Welcome to Our Lord's Community Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. We are a community of worship and formation on mission with Jesus. Our desire for you as you listen is to be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit as we read the scriptures and to be mobilized to actively bring God's kingdom to the earth. For more information on who we are, visit OLCC.org or follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at OLCCOKC. So today we are going to look at our mission, our values, and our vision, and today we're going to be talking about being a community of worship. Before that, though, I just wanted to make a couple of comments about our weekend with Steve Nicholson and his team. It was wonderful, wasn't it? It's great to have him. He's like an elder brother, a father in the faith who's been here three times, and it's just been really, really helpful to have him. And he brought Adama and Hernan and Mark, which I just wanted to say how that models the vineyard conviction that everyone gets to play, everyone participates. Those guys were 22 and under, and it just shows you how they've been discipled and mentored in the scriptures and in the ways of the Holy Spirit. And I don't know about you, but that was pretty fun and encouraging to see, wasn't it? We want those kinds of things happening here. We do, we have them, but we got to see a church that's down the road on that. They have dozens of young adults who've come up through their youth and are walking with God like that. So that was super encouraging. Steve, for those who were here on Friday and Saturday, did talk about some of the vineyard vision and values. So this is perfect timing as we join the vineyard for us to talk about our mission, our mission statement, our vision, and our values. So we're going to look for the next three Sundays, today and two after that, and today we're going to unpack the first part of our mission statement. We are a community of worship, and then the next week we'll look at being a community of formation, and then the following week we'll look at being a community on mission with Jesus. In reflecting on this today, I was picturing what we've got kind of three parts to this. We're a community, but we're a community of worship, formation, and mission. And I was picturing a three-legged easel for you artists out there. I put this up here. And the three legs of the easel are our mission, our values, our vision, who we are, what we value most, where we're going, And so we want to increasingly talk about this and make sure we've been saying it, but we want to drill down into them so you understand a bit more about who we are. Maybe if you're visiting our Lord's, this is who we are. Maybe if you've been here for a while, this is who we are. This is what God has put in us as a community. This is where we're we're going in the coming days. And so we want it to be clearly articulated, but if you look up here at the easel, there's only so much that human beings can do. Isn't that true? So we can articulate our mission, our values, our vision, but the great artist has to do his work. And so we are, we're deeply convinced that talking about these things is really important, but it's only part of the picture. It's like posturing ourselves and saying, Lord, this is who we are. We read the scriptures, we look at church history, we hear your voice, we're aligned with a vineyard, This is who we are. This is where we're going. But you are the only one who can build the church. Isn't that right? It's what Jesus says in Matthew 16, 18. And then Psalm 127 says this. 
Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. So I just want to say up front here, we're going to be as crystal clear as we can on these things, but we're a God-dependent church. We're not a corporation. We're not an organization. We want to be organized in these things, but really what makes the church unusual is Jesus builds it. This is his church, and we can have the slickest mission and vision and values and all of that without the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. We're not going anywhere. We're just kind of a social club. So we are leaning into our mission, our values, and our vision, but we're remembering Zechariah 4.6 says, it's not by might, nor by power, nor by mission statements, nor by clearly articulated vision and values, but by the Lord's Spirit that anything happens. So as a staff, as the elders, the leaders of this church, you, we should be on our faces and say, Lord, we want you to build this church. We want you to make this church exactly what you have in your mind, in your heart. So I mentioned we're going to zero in on the first part of this, and I've got the mission statement up here. So we're a community of worship. We're going to look at that. And if you notice here, the mission statement, who we are, begins with that two-letter word, we. It's not I or me. Together we do this. Together we're the family of God. Together we're God's people. Together we're committed to these things. We're a community. We have a common unity around what the scriptures teach and what we've lifted from the scriptures to articulate our mission for this local church. And this is a community that really stems from God. If you think about the doctrine of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, there is like the Example of all examples of what community can look like. The Father and the Trinity. It's also a community, our Lord's community, that stems from the Old Testament people of God. Sometimes we think in terms of the now, the modern, the postmodern. But friends, we gather here today because God chose a slave people in Egypt and liberated them and delivered them. And so we are part of God's family beginning back then. We're children of Abraham and Sarah through faith. We're also a community rooted in the New Testament people of God. Where did that start? With Jesus and the 12. The early church founded by the apostles that came out of that original 12 And that early church as the new Israel, the spiritual Israel that practiced certain things. Acts 2.42 talks about it. The apostles' teaching, fellowship, the breaking of bread, prayer. We're going to look more at that next week and the following week. But friends, we're connected to God. We're connected to the Old Testament people of God. We're connected to the early church. And then you know I'm kind of a church history geek We're connected to the historic church over the past 2,000 years. And so in the coming days, I want us to seek out and to know better our roots so that we're rooted and we're empowered. And so we're going to be talking about what it means to be a rooted and empowered 
people. If you look here, we're a community of worship. And on our mission statement online, it says, it elaborates on this a little bit more. It says that we make space here to encounter God's active presence together. So we're saying in our mission statement that we first and foremost are worshipers and lovers of God. We do his work. He sends us out. But first, we sit at the feet of Jesus and we worship him. That's the first thing that we're committed to. And then we expect to encounter God, to encounter Jesus, to encounter the Holy Spirit. And he sends us out. So today I want us to look at a few statements that kind of look further into what it means to be a community of worship that conveys aspects of what it means to be a people of worship. And the first thing, and some of these you might say, well, that's pretty clear, but I want to look at some of the nuance of it. The first is that our worship is for God. And we talk about this, but we'll be talking about it more, that when we come and worship on Sundays, we have an audience of one. An audience of one. The only true God. And we're not here for performance or for entertainment at all. We're here, as John Wimber used to say, to touch the Father's heart together through Jesus, by the Holy Spirit. And therefore, when we gather together, our worship is Trinitarian. I'm using that word. It's a pretty big word, but it's one of the central teachings in the scriptures, central teaching for the New Testament church that We come to God the Father through Jesus Christ and by the Holy Spirit. And so our worship illustrates that. We are a people of the Holy Trinity. And this is found in Scripture. We talk about it every time we baptize someone. We look at Matthew 28, don't we? And so each disciple is baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And so you're set on a lifelong course to be a worshiper of the Holy Trinity, to be taught the ways of Jesus, to be filled with the Spirit of God. Jesus says in Matthew 4.10, when he's rebuking Satan and he's confronted by Satan, he says this, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And so when we gather together on Sundays and when you gather together in homes during the week, we worship the Lord God and him only. And frankly, no one else, no other human, no spirit, no false god. This is a super critical message right now. Some of you were here when Steve was talking about worship. Who was here on Saturday? Not here, but at the retreat. Steve made some comments that were really helpful about worship. And he was reiterating this biblical and vineyard value that we come together and we worship. And it's for God. I agree with most of what he said, but there was one part that I want to revisit that I did not agree with. And Steve said, worship is not for us, but for God and what God gets out of it. Now, I know Steve well. I've heard him say that before. And Steve is critiquing kind of a consumer 
mindset that we come to church and the worship should be great, the microphone should be perfect, everything should be in tune, and if it's not, then we're kind of disappointed. We're there as an audience, and Steve is saying, absolutely not. We're there for God. But the idea that God gets anything out of our worship is misleading. Some of you might be saying, what do you mean by that? God needs nothing. God needs nothing. Scripture is clear about that. Psalm 24.1 says, The earth is the Lord's and all that is in it, the world and those who live in it. This is the great teaching of our God. God needs nothing. God does not sit in heaven and say, I need some worship. God is overflowing with goodness and greatness and beauty and power. The only thing that you and I can bring to God is our need of God. So when we gather together, that's what we're saying. We're saying, Father, we come to touch your heart. We love you, but we don't have anything to offer you. Does that make sense? The sovereign, omnipotent, glorious God, everything is his. We belong to him. The only thing that we can bring him is our need, our sin, our brokenness, our capacity to enjoy him. And this matters. This is not just a little fine-tuning in our theology. When we come, we're saying, Father, we are here for you. We need you. Fill us again. And that delights the Father's heart. But I think that there's something that really matters in that statement. The idea that you and I can offer God anything is kind of comical. Would you agree? Maybe some of you do, some of you don't. I've got an illustration here as I was pondering this. I remember Mia and Jake bringing me some of the cutest squiggles on sheets of paper got a slide actually. I dug some up and I cried a little bit this week as I looked through these. We have some big art folders where we have put their art over the years. I actually had to call Mia yesterday and FaceTime her and say, look what I'm finding. Look at these things. And she was reminiscing and remembering with me. But I remember when they would give Amanda and me some of these works of art, and if you see there, that is me on the upper left with no torso. So I'm not sure what that's communicating, and I do have some lovely hair, so does Amanda on the right. But you know, none of that matters. I mean, she gave this to us, and it moved our hearts hugely, so much so that we tucked it into a folder for the last 15 years. That is the mo I would rather have that than some great work of art, because that is from my daughter's heart. I love daddy. I love mommy. I've got another thing here that I dug up and cried over as well. That is little Jakey. How old is he there? Maybe four? Four? Yeah. And you can't read it probably, nor can I, but it says, these sweet kisses are all for you. And so there's some artwork in this little pre-K thing that he had that is just cuter than cute. But really, that image right there is what we're doing in worship. We're coming to the Father and saying, this love is for you. I love you. 
you're amazing and I love you because you loved me first. I'm responding to the overflow of your love and your affection and your ongoing kindness toward me every day. You put up with me. You put up with us. Your love is relentless. There's no end to your forgiveness. You're the kindest, most merciful, loving person I've encountered. That is what our worship is, friends. That's the kind of worship that Jesus speaks about. The Father is seeking that kind of worship. So when we get together, we offer God our little scribbles. We offer God some affection. And he embraces us. And it's beautiful and powerful. But the notion that the overflowing God of the universe really needs us is missing. He set this up. It's the mystery of his ways that he would allow himself through creatures that he made to be moved in his heart. But this is the essence of our worship for God. A second thing related to this, not only is our worship for God, but it is about God. Theologians call this, it's theocentric. The word for God in Greek is theos. And so this is God-centered worship that we're committed to. We don't sing about ourselves, but we sing about God most of the time. There's a veteran worship leader named Matt Redman, and I listened to a podcast that he did recently, and he said that he had studied a number of the popular songs in recent years, and he counted the number of human-centered moments in those worship songs, how many references there were to I, me, mine, versus references to God, you, your, yours. And it surprised and repulsed Matt Redman. And so he is making it a primary calling to invite the church back to God-centered worship. And so here, our local church, we are going to be always looking for ways to make our worship absolutely God-centered. And the truth is, no matter if you're a church that's been around and doing this for 50 years or five months, there is always room for us to grow in everything we do here, in our worship, in what I'm doing, teaching, in ministry to one another, we can always grow. And so I want us to think increasingly about not only our worship, but our prayers, God-centered stuff that we're doing. Now, I know some of you are probably thinking, there are moments in the Bible where God's people reference themselves. That's true. The Psalms are full of that, right? But what we're saying is the majority of songs, lyrics, and lines should be centered on God. You are holy. You are glorious. You are amazing. You are filled with love and mercy. You alone are what we need. We need to get lost in God. To focus on God's glory and majesty. And it's only there that we lose our self-centeredness, our sin, and we're caught up in the mystery of who God is. So worship, as we're finding when we gather together on Sundays, is an on-ramp into the throne room. And in the throne room, we sing about God. 
You're holy. You're majestic. And frankly, I think in the coming days, the Lord in his kindness and mercy is going to introduce some awe and reverence. And it's not a common topic, but the fear of the Lord. This is the God of the universe that we're talking about. He is holy, holy, holy. The whole earth is full of his glory. And I dare you to pray that. I dare you to sing that in your car. Something happens. God-centered worship, God-centered prayer changes everything. I've been trying to do this more and more often, regularly, just in moments where anxiety is washing over me or frustration, and I've tried to do some new arrow prayers where I'm just right in the midst of it saying, hallelujah, praise the Lord, praise the name of the Lord, glory to God in the highest. I've been talking to my staff about Grandma Marion, a lady in my life, my grandmother, who would do this all through the day. She would make statements like that. And if you were around her, you could feel things change. It would change internally, and it changes around us. So God-centered worship is the on-ramp into the throne room, and we can approach the, the throne of grace with boldness as much as we want. So this same principle applies as we worship. It also applies to prayer. So I just want us to think about this. This week, the coming weeks, if you're in the dumps, if you're dealing with some anxiety, whatever it might be, something waging war against you, the lust of the flesh, try God-centered praise and see what it does. Now, it might take a little bit of time but reminding ourselves of the power, the beauty, the glory of God's character changes things, changes us. And so I've been asking, Lord, as you raise up God-centered worshipers here at our Lord's, continue to give us new songs, new worship leaders among us as we're a church committed to God-centered worship. A third thing here, our worship is rooted in and permeated with the words of Scripture. Again, we're looking at these things because they almost come, they're almost like railroad tracks. And if we lay them well, then we're going somewhere. We're going in the right direction. And the best tracks to have laid are those found in Scripture. So our worship is rooted in the Bible and it's filled with references, with words, with pictures from Scripture. When we gather together, Jesus, the living word, is the center of our worship, isn't he? We're here to encounter the Father, but we're here to engage with Jesus Christ, the living word, God in the flesh. So therefore, the written word is also primary, but it brings us to him. We don't worship the Bible. We reference, we reverence the words of God. But the book brings us to the living God. But of course, everything we do and say, we want it to be infused with the words of Scripture. There are examples of this in the Bible, actually. The central role that the words of God, that Scripture plays in the worshiping community if you think about Luke 4, a passage that we reference quite often where Jesus is in the synagogue, the house of worship of his day, 
And what's he do? Right there in the middle of the worship service, he opens the scroll of Isaiah to chapter 61, and he reads from it. And so we see in the life of the Son of God himself that the Word of God plays a central role in the worship of God's people. If you look at Scripture, these are just a few examples, but in Revelation 4.8, I've already referenced it, but we get to peer into heaven a few times. We saw this in our series on Revelation. In Revelation 4.8, Claire read this last week, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty. This is called the thrice holy hymn. Three times holy hymn. And in Revelation, it's an echo of what happened back in the Old Testament. In Isaiah 6.3, that vision that Isaiah has, he's peering in to heaven. The throne room of God and the angelic beings are saying, holy, holy, holy. So praying and singing the scripture is critical for us. We want to worship by the scriptures. We want to sing the scriptures. And you young or emerging worship leaders, here's a little secret. This book right here is full of songs waiting to happen. Many of the the words in here are actually psalms and songs. Psalm 1 through 150, those are songs waiting to be written. It's a treasure trove for people of worship. So if you're a young person, I encourage you to give yourself to the Word of God. And I'm looking forward in the coming days to seeing what worshipers and what worship leaders come, come up from among us. One part of our vision statement says this. We will raise up new worship leaders who lead people to encounter God's active presence. So here at Our Lord's, in the coming days, we're committed by the power and grace of the Holy Spirit to raise up new worship leaders. A second thing that we say in our vision statement is that we will produce and distribute worship music that encourages the church to know God more deeply and reach the unchurched more effectively. So the way that we do this is biblically based songs. I've been talking about some of the current worship team and I've been saying immerse yourself in new ways in the word of God. Give yourself to it. Memorize it, meditate on it, pray it. Learn to wield the sword in personal prayer and in worship. It's a great little book here. I'm actually going to buy a stack of them and put them out there this week, but it's called How to Lead Worship Without Being a Rock Star. And this is a standard by Dan Wilt. It's an eight-week study, and so I want to make this available to emerging worship leaders in our church. I'll put some out there. Again, Dan Wilt, How to Lead Worship. It's a fantastic book. Spells out some of the worship values in the vineyard movement. It's kind of a standard that many worship leaders use as they train others. What I want to do here is I want to take a moment, do a little ministry time right now, and I want to ask particularly the younger people If worship is in your heart, 
want you to stand up. I know that can be... I think we got some more. And I'm going to ask for people around, maybe even some of our worship team to go. And I want to lay hands on some of these young worshipers and future worship leaders. So those of you that are around them, if you'll stand up and go lay hands on them. I want to take just a couple minutes here. I was sensing this week that the Lord wanted to highlight some of our future emerging worshipers and worship leaders. So let's just make sure every young adult who stood up receives prayer. We're just going to take a minute. So those of you, you can pray that God would fan into flame the gifts that are in them and pray for a spirit of worship to rise up within them. Let's just take a minute or so and do this. Jesus, we recognize the untapped resource of the youth and the hearts of youthfulness. God, you say to come into the kingdom, we must be like little children. Lord, we need the hearts of youthful worship, Lord. Holy Spirit, would you blow again, would you breathe again life into the hearts of our youth in this room? We pray for new songs, new psalms to be written, to be poured out, tears to be poured out of their hearts. And we declare that we don't need a generation that has already come. We need this generation that is here. We need the hearts of the ones that are rising up today, Lord. We have beautiful worship leaders all over the world. We don't need copycat worship leaders. We need the heart expressions of the young ones, the heart expressions of the Levites in the secret place, coming forth, releasing songs from the heart. Holy Spirit, we declare that these young ones are marked here today for new songs, new expressions, Lord. We declare that Our ceilings would be their floor, that they would go beyond. We pray that Malachi 6, 8, the sons of the fathers would be turned to the children, children to the fathers, that there would be discipleship that happens in worship across the church, Lord. Yeah, even now we thank you for how you're you're raising up young ones. Holy Spirit, would you come and pour out more and more? We need those who are raised in the body to love the body, to love the body of Christ. Would you help us to raise young ones, to raise little ones, that we would worship from the cradle to the grave, God. 
And everywhere in in between, from the cradle to the grave, we would have worship in this house. And we thank you for every expression of worship, every heartfold of worship. Thank you, God. Thank you for responding and thank you for praying. Spirit of God's on some of you. You may want to just sit and continue to soak that in. Love our church. You like this place? This people where we can stop and do things like that and love it. More quickly, I'm just going to lay these out. You can go back and and look at them. But the fourth aspect of our community being a community of worship is that our worship is communal and sacramental. So there's some big words there, but simply, we're the body together. And the scriptures make it clear that you can't be a Christian on your own island apart from other people. And of course, there are people in unreached groups in Islamic countries. There might be a one person here, one per- and they've got Jesus, and that's it. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about this context in the West. If you think that you can sit at home and do TV Christianity, it's not in the scriptures. Now, if there's a physical reason that you can't be at church, Again, I understand that. But Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says this. Let us consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. So the New Testament shows us that when we worship, we're people of worship. It's communal. It's part of the community. And so this is an invitation for us together to encounter and receive from God. Again, we gather on Sundays, the Lord's Day, but then we gather during the week in our groups, in your homes, spontaneous meetings to worship. What do I mean by our worship as sacramental? That's a big word. Some of us are more familiar with it. It's basically a word that means sacred or holy. And it's a New Testament word, actually, that is related to mystery, mysterion. So it's a sacred mystery. When we worship together, like we did this morning with the Lord's Supper, with the Eucharist, as some traditions call it, we're encountering God, the mystery of God, especially communion and baptism and anointing the sick. One of my favorite theologians that I've referenced many times, Callistus Ware, an Eastern Orthodox theologian, says this. It's beautiful. The church takes material things, water, bread, wine, oil, and makes them a vehicle of the Holy Spirit. In this way, the sacraments look back to the incarnation of Christ when Christ took material flesh and made it a vehicle of the Holy Spirit. 
and the sacraments look forward to and anticipate the final redemption of creation at the last day. So friends, the opportunity for us to encounter God through the sacraments is profound. We're going to look further into this next Sunday, but we're a communal and sacramental people. A fifth thing here is that our worship is kingdom-oriented. We've been talking about this quite a bit, haven't we? That the king is here when we worship, and the king is coming, and our worship highlights this. Psalm 22, 3 says this, Lord, you are holy, and you are enthroned upon the praises of Israel. 1 Timothy 1.17 says, To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be glory and honor forever. So friends, when we come together and worship, it's kingdom-oriented. The king is here. The king's enthroned upon our worship and praise. And things happen. Warfare occurs. Victory, the pronouncement of Christ's victory through the cross, through his resurrection, through the love of the Father. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. So when we're worshiping, we're reminding ourselves of that. Christ came. He's victorious through his blood. It's also expectant. Do we expect things when we meet together? We certainly do. God is in the room. God is in the house. And anything can happen. Miracles, signs, wonders, salvation, breakthrough. Wimber used to say that the presence is the power. So when we gather together and the presence of God is among us, all things are possible. The dynamic rule and reign of God Almighty is operating among us, ready to send us out. The last thing here as we end Our worship is prayerful and repentant. So inspired by the prayers, the Psalms of the Bible, and Christian history, when we gather together to worship, we're turning to God from whatever it is that is pulling at us. Sin, Satan, demons, these various things, and we're turning to God. That's the joy of repentance. That word gets a bad rap sometimes, and it's a beautiful word. It's a glorious word to turn to God and receive from God in repentance and humility. It's not a dirge, which actually can be subtle self-centeredness. Repentance is not, oh, woe is me, I'm pathetic. That's another form of self-worship. Repentance is you. You are amazing. You are full of love and forgiveness. That's repentance. So whenever we hear that repentance is not something we do as new covenant people, that is incorrect. Repentance is from start to finish, from Genesis to Revelation, from the coming of Christ and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit until we meet him again. Repentance occurs in the heart of God's people, in the heart of worship, and it's a wonderful word. Amen? Second Chronicles 7.14 isn't just for the Old Testament people of God. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves, pray, seek my face, and repent or turn from their wicked ways, then I hear from heaven and I forgive sin 
and heal their land. So friends, this is what we do in worship. We humble ourselves before God. The Apostle Peter says in 1 Peter 5 that when we worship, we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God and he lifts us up. James 4, 7, and 8 says that we submit ourselves to God in worship. We resist the devil and he flees from us. So our worship is prayerful and it's repentant. Now we could talk about the whole wide range of things that happen. I'm just looking at a few things. Of course, all of the emotions and affections that we have that God has given to us, all of those can be caught up into worship. And we can repent and humble ourselves, but we can dance and sing for joy. I'm waiting for Todd Glass. He told me over a year ago that he was going to be dancing. So I'm waiting for new songs of joy and dance and celebration. It's all of those things together because God's created us to be a community of worship.